Today, with churches around the world and throughout the centuries, we are celebrating, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate, one, because it was the love of God that caused Jesus to come to earth, to offer himself as a sacrifice in the cross, that once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins everywhere and for all time. And it is the love of God that continually offers us new life through his risen Savior, which is why today we celebrate. Today we worship a risen Jesus. Not only is today Easter Sunday, but it's also the beginning of a four-week sermon series called Love Reigns. Hopefully this will be impactful for you. Hopefully you'll tune in. Hopefully you'll be here for the next three weeks as we discover all the ways that God's amazing love transforms our past, impacts our present, and beautifully shapes the future that God has for us. I think many people underestimate the power of love. Maybe you know the Huey Lewis song, The Power of Love. I would argue that he had it pretty right. I ran across this story that kind of confirms that. Listen to this. Anne and Bill Duncan are in, a, in the honeymoon phase of their relationship. They look like it, don't they? But unlike most couples going through this new and exciting stage, the Duncans are married and have been for 12 years. You see, after living with dementia for nearly a decade, Bill started having trouble recognizing or even remembering Anne. And so when he asked Anne to marry him again, she said yes. Two days later, the happy couple celebrated their second wedding, surrounded by friends and family. It was wonderful, Anne said. And what's even more amazing is two weeks later, Bill still thinks he's just married his brand new girlfriend, and that makes him so happy. I love and make us do such crazy things. Think of all the self-sacrificing actions that we will take with our family and friends because we love them. We will pay nearly any price to demonstrate sometimes how much we care. Love is powerful and it moves us to do amazing things. And with most amazing things in our life, there must have been something leading up to that amazing here we are on Easter Sunday, but before there was an Easter Sunday, there had to be a Good Friday. Before there was ever a resurrection this morning, there first had to be a death. For 33 years, Jesus Christ walked this earth and served the hungry, healed the broken. He delivered the oppressed. He announced the coming kingdom of God and the restoration of all things at his second coming. He claimed himself to be the Son of God, and many believed him and thought of him as the true King of all things. But this kind of thinking and this kind of teaching really caused a lot of conflict in the area that Jesus served in. You see, at that time, the ruler of the ancient Near East was Rome. They ruled the entire known world, we would call it at that time. And Rome had installed a puppet king named Herod, call him Herod the Great, but there wasn't a lot great about this guy. He wanted to keep control. He wanted to keep authority for himself and himself alone. He killed off his siblings because they might undermine his authority. Guess what happened when Jesus came along? Jesus and Herod could not coexist. That would undermine the authority. There can be only one king. Both Herod and Jesus could not reign over Israel at the same time. So what happened? The Jewish leaders and the Roman officials, they worked together to have Jesus arrested. 
They then brought him to a mock trial for his claims to be God. How dare he? He was, of course, we know, convicted, beaten nearly to death, then forced to carry that old rugged cross all the way to the hill that he would be killed upon for us. Matthew chapter 27 shares this story. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They carried this man to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, just wagging their heads, shaking their fingers and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. The crucifixion of Jesus was marked by ridicule, disbelief. The soldiers mocked Jesus by placing a sign over his head calling him king of the Jews, even though a lot of people certainly didn't believe that. Those crowds of people that passed by, they mocked Jesus, telling him that if he really was the Son of God, he ought to be able to do something to save himself. The priests and the teachers, they mocked Jesus. Get off the cross. If you really are the King of Israel, you can do at least that much. But friends, none of them understood that the true test of Jesus' power and authority was not in his ability to save himself from crucifixion, but rather his ability to overcome death that the crucifixion would cause. See, sometimes we miss the proof of our Lord's lordship in our life because we're expecting him to prove himself in some way that we have decided, God, if you can do this, then I'll believe. Then I'll start doing things different. But what often happens is the Lord is over here working in different ways than we would ever expect and so many people and, and individuals have decided in their hearts that they're never going to trust in Jesus unless he meets their expectations. Jesus, I'm going to trust you when you heal my relatives, when you give me a good job, when you stop world hunger. Certainly you can do that, Jesus. Or write something in the sky for me so that I know that you're real. But until Jesus does those things that they expect, they will never allow Jesus in their hearts until he does what they want. And friends, I'm, a, I'm afraid that that kind of mentality is the same kind of struggle that plagued those that were there the day that Jesus died. It's the same mentality that drove Herod to be a part of the death of God's son. When we demand Jesus to prove himself on our own terms we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives, the wonderful plan that he has for us. Herod was not the last one to be threatened by the king of Jesus. He was not the only one to struggle at the idea of Jesus being in charge of everything. The truth is, that's still an idea that we have a hard time with today, whether we be Christian or not. 
Because in our lives, there can be only one king as well. It has been said that on the throne of our heart sits the one who reigns in our lives. The one who reigns in our lives is going to be the one who dictates what we do, how we act, look, think, feel, all those different things. There's a Christian song entitled, King of My Heart. That's what I'm talking about. But what we need to do every single day is to decide whether Jesus is going to be the king on the throne in our hearts or whether we are going to take that throne ourselves. Because if we take that throne ourselves, our lives are going to look a whole lot different than if Jesus is there. If we are on that throne, the decisions that we make are going to be based on what? The things that I want. We're going to live selfishly for ourselves. But friends, if we put Jesus on the throne of our lives, oh, love can then reign because then we're more inclined to listen to his leading. Listen to the Holy Spirit and the power working inside of us. We start putting others first rather than ourselves. We live sacrificially. And when it comes to the way that we speak, act, and live, well, there can be only one king. Paul said in the epistle reading today that if Jesus is still dead, well, nothing here matters at all. It's all garbage. It's all trash. We are stupid for believing it. But if he is real, if he is risen from the dead, then that absolutely changes everything because he is king. Three days after Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb, to everyone's shock and amazement, he appeared bodily to so many of his disciples and others. That had never happened before. Those who were there saw him killed. They know that the Romans were good at killing. They weren't going to mess up a crucifixion, especially not one as high profile as that. They knew that Jesus was dead. But now he's alive again? Breaking bread with them, walking with them, talking with them, showing the wounds that he had died from? You see, Jesus' love for humanity had overcome death and defeated evil once and for all, done away with the sacrificial system, done away with that, I got to become clean every single day in order to come before God. Jesus did all of that for us. The renowned artist Paul Gustave Doré lost his passport while he was traveling in Europe, came to a border crossing, and he explained his predicament. I've lost my papers to the guards that were there. He gave his name to one of the officials in door, hope for sure he'll recognize my name and they'll let me through. The guard said, uh-uh, there's a lot of people that try that trick. Well, I'm so-and-so, I'm famous, you need to let me through. Padre would say when he's pulled over by the police, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I just had to throw that in there, Padre. The guard, however, there's so many people that try that, you're going to have to prove to me that you are who you say you are. All right, I'm going to give you a test. And if you pass my test, then I will believe you. And I'll let you go through the border crossing. So he handed him a pencil and a sheet of paper. And he said, okay, if you are Paul Gustave Doré, this should be no problem for you. Draw me a sketch of these people that are standing here. The story goes he did it so skillfully and so quickly that the guard was totally convinced that he was indeed who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. His word said, I am he, and his work confirmed that it was him. And friends, Jesus' work confirmed his word as well. 
Though many doubted and mocked him, death did not have the final say. Love did. The scripture tells us this, and, and in one of the most famous passages of all, the gospel in the nutshell, of course we know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to live for 33 years as a human, which was no fun during those times. No electronics, no cars, traveling with dusty feet on my sandals. That would not be very fun. But God loved us so much he sent his son to live that way. And more importantly, he sent his son to die in that horrible way and finally to rise again. That's why we celebrate today, because he did rise again after death. We have been given the opportunity for eternal life. And we know this because of Jesus, the scariest thing that humans can ever experience won't happen to us. Because we know we will pass through death to a new life in heaven forever. After Jesus has resurrected, his final words to his followers reveal the truth behind the Easter story. We call this the Great Commission. The final words before Jesus ascended to heaven, who does he say and what does he say them to? Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And as Pastor Neil so wonderfully said on Good Friday night, the thing that we need to take away is Jesus' next statement. Behold, I am with you always. He's with all of us, always to the very end of the age. Easter is the day that Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth. That is when he took on his kingly state and kingly purpose. No matter how many doubted, he proved that he was who he said he was, king of the Jews, king of Israel, king of all. No matter how many mocked him, he was able to rescue himself, not from the cross, but from death three days later. No matter how many people questioned his power, he did defeat the cross once and for all. And it was the love of God. And with that authority, he is now reigning over the entire world and hopefully in our lives as well. Jesus' final instruction to his followers was to go into the whole world and make disciples. He told them to spread the good news of his resurrection to anyone who would listen. So friends, each of us here, and each of us watching online have been commissioned to teach the way of Jesus. Because as we know, it is the one thing, the single thing in this world that can truly change it. Does our world need to be changed? I hope the answer is yes. From our perspective, the things that we see on the news, in the newspaper, online, on our phones, on the TV, there's a lot of stuff out there that is not according to God's plan and God's will. That needs to change. We have the gospel. We know that one single thing, that truth that will change the world. So today, if you consider yourself a Christian, those same instructions that Jesus gave his disciples 2,000 years ago, they are your instructions as well. We are to train ourselves to be students and learners of the way of Christ and then to go and help others also become learners and students. 
There's kind of a feeling of progression. To be disciple is a lifelong process. It, it never ends like anything else important in life that you really are passionate about. You're constantly learning, constantly growing, finding new ways and better ways to do things. But with one critical difference, everything else we do on this earth has an ending time because when we die, it is done. But with the power of love, this process of building disciples, it has no ending. Being a disciple of Christ comes with eternal benefits forever beyond this life. Because as a disciple, over time, we learn to live generous lives. We learn to forgive. We learn to serve others rather than ourselves. We learn to start practicing self-control and balance in our lives. And we learn to lend people a lot of grace. And we are a people of peace. And then we are compelled to live as a response to that great love that God had for us first and invite others to join us in that response. That is what is meant to have love reign in your life. This final reminder that we are given by Jesus before he sends into heaven is that he is with us always, even to the very end of the age. How long is that? The end of the age, forever. There is no ending. But maybe today there's some who have thought that Jesus has forgotten about them. Thinking, well, those words Jesus spoke, they could not be for me, could not be about me, could they? But friends, I want every one of you here, I want you to see that Jesus' final earthly words were for his followers, including you, and they were so very intentional. These words that Jesus left us with, they were not some off-the-cuff remarks or Jesus trying to impress us with a catchphrase or a nice tagline, right? We've got plenty of those kinds of things in our life. Here's a few of them. That which does not kill us makes us stronger. Okay, I don't want to be killed, so I guess that's all right. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. I've seen that a lot. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Ah. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. I think that one has to do with sports. And my favorite of all, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But friends, the words that Jesus leaves us with are even better. Because they are the most hopeful, life-impacting, meaningful words that you can ever hear and that you can ever share with someone who has never heard them before. Because with Jesus' words, we have an encouragement. We have a promise. We are strengthened. It's so purposeful. Today, if you hear nothing else that I say, I want to remind you that you are never alone. Because Jesus lives and dwells inside of us. He is the king of our heart, the Holy Spirit, growing through our veins and helping us to make the right choices and do those things that God has in line for us to do. That means no matter what you go through, the highs of life, the lows of life, the sad times, the happy times, Jesus is there, right there with you. As I wrap up today, I'm convinced that in this room today, there are two types of people. The first type of people are some who have never led by faith to let love reign in their lives, to prioritize their lives around Jesus. 
Maybe you've been waiting for Jesus to prove himself and it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you just don't want to give up control in your life so that you now have never submitted yourself to Christ. Well, today I want to invite you to let go of those fears. I want to invite you to open up your heart, become a disciple, a student of his, and for the rest of your lives to do what he wants to do, to do what he modeled for us, which is to serve others. I want you to put yourself in our gospel in a nutshell. Hear and believe this truth directly from him. The capital letters in this verse come from Pastor Dan. For God so loved me that he gave his only son that as I believe in him, I will not perish but have eternal life. And now I'm going to ask everyone here to do the same. You at home as well. I'll know if you don't. Together, we're going to read this and be very intentional thinking. For God so loved me that he gave his only son, that as I believe in him, I will not perish, but have eternal life. And then in hearing this truth, knowing that truth and responding to God's love by living each and every day, prioritizing your life around Christ. I said there were two types of people. The second person, second type of person, is someone who may have once trusted in Christ for their entire life, but have maybe grown tired of obeying him. They're not seeing what they want out of their life, so maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've listened to the lies and half-truths of our culture and society that says you need to live for one thing only, and that's yourself, right? That's what they tell us. But friends, Easter is a reminder that we can once again repent of that kind of thinking and turn and obey Christ. If this is you today, I want to remind you again what Jesus promised. That he would never, ever leave you. That he would always be with you. That his love for you has never wavered no matter how far you run away from him. He is still there. So commit once again to live for him. This Easter, I pray that you do see the resurrection of Christ as the proof of his love for you. And may you let that love reign in your life so that other folks can experience the hope and joy of Easter as you do today. Hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Happy Easter.